Lord God, we ask for an end to this situation that makes us all so tired. It's an understatement, Lord, to say that we are fatigued with this issue. It is hurting our country. It is hurting our state and our cities, our towns. It is hurting our families and it is hurting our church. And it is more than just the virus that's hurting us. It is the division that is being caused because of this. I don't want division. And yet, I don't want people to get sick either. God, we are on the the edge, we are told, by our medical providers. We are on the edge of this turning into something very dangerous. I pray against that. Lord, I pray for your intervention. And I recognize, Lord, we are not to live in fear, and that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting, Lord, that we recognize a threat and we work together. And this threat is more than physical, it's mental. I recognize, Lord, that there are many people who are suffering emotional issues because of all of the shutdowns and quarantines and face mask wearing. And Lord, these are very real issues. I pray that this church, this community would be a place where we could help folks in the name of Jesus Christ, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I pray that this would be a safe place, a place where people would not feel called out, and that's not in any way the point of this, God, not in any way. Just that we would look to you, remember that you are God, but also support each other. Lord, the election that just happened in our country is yet another way to divide us. It is my prayer that wisdom would be granted. Wisdom to our president, President Trump. Wisdom to Joe Biden and Lord God, I don't know where things are at. Some are calling him president-elect. Some are not. If there was ever a time when we needed wisdom from you, God, it is now. I pray against violence that could erupt. I pray for peace. I pray for unity in our country. But that unity, Lord, is unity that needs to be under the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that our country would once again bow to you, God. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Oh, I, uh, I, forgot, I forgot a prayer request that I wanted to bring forward. Um, I recently heard about a, a young family near Bertha that has been especially affected by COVID-19, and they're in trouble. Uh, the family has five kids. They've got a, a baby, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a, a seven-year-old. Uh, well, as you can imagine, um, the mom stays home to take care of the kids, and her husband, uh, he works hard to support the family, but he was laid off back in March uh, because of the, the shutdown. He has, he, well, he was on unemployment and he was, um, because he got laid off, and it, he benefited from the extra $600 uh, from the CARES Act when he got laid off, but as you probably know, uh, that extra $600 stopped back in July. And even worse, his company made the decision um, not to hire him back because of the downturn. He was informed in August that um, his job has been eliminated. He has been looking for work for the past couple months, but he hasn't been able to find anything. Uh, like so many families, this family is really struggling. They haven't wanted to ask for help because they don't want to be a burden on others. Um, but they've gotten to the point where they really need help to get out of this. Well, reluctantly, um, the dad called Long Prairie and he requested that his unemployment be extended until he finds work. But, I mean... Rules are rules. He already has exhausted his unemployment benefits all the way through this. He was told that the new stimulus plan hopefully will be coming eventually from the federal government. Now that the election is done, maybe that's true. But uh, even if it is, even if it happened tomorrow, it's not going to be available for probably months. It's not going to be soon enough. So uh, I also know that this family... Uh, he grew up Catholic, and so he called the Catholic Church. Um, he went to the Catholic Church as a child. He, he called up the Catholic Church down in Browerville. Um, he thought it was at least, at least worth a shot. Uh, the priest down in Browerville, uh, he asked for food, money, I mean a job, anything. And, um, well, he, he got the answering machine, had to leave a message. When the priest called him back a few days later, the, the news it wasn't, it wasn't very good. I don't need to tell you that the pandemic has been a strain on church budgets, and it turns out that the Catholic Church um, has used up its funds uh, serving people around the Long Prairie area, and they didn't, they didn't um, have any extra for people around Bertha. So, um, this family now has run out of food. And things do not look good. They were desperate for help. They didn't know where to turn. But then the mother remembered an organization that had helped her in a difficult moment when she was a teenager living in Alexandria. She called up the Alexandria Planned Parenthood Clinic. The receptionist answered the phone and immediately transferred her to the doctor on staff um, the doctor jumped in his car and drove right up here to rural Bertha. He discovered that not only were they almost out of food, but they were way behind on their 
electricity bills. They had no propane for the coming winter. Uh, This week's been fine because it's been warm, but uh, when it was cold a few weeks ago, they were cold. So this abortion doctor, he went to Walmart with them and he bought $500 in groceries. And then he made arrangements and he filled up their 1,000-gallon propane tank. He called up Minnesota Power and he paid their electric bill up to date and even put extra money down to make sure that they were covered through the winter so they didn't have to worry about their power getting cut off. Then he went down with them to the bank. He paid up their mortgage. He even paid them two months ahead. Finally, he connected them with a friend of his that's hiring um, to drive cement truck down at the uh, cement plant down by Alec. The job pays really well. It's even got benefits, including health insurance and 401k. And then the doctor gave this family his personal phone number and told them not to hesitate to call if they needed any more help. This abortion doctor. Lord God, as we open your word, it is my prayer that you would speak to us. Amen. Last week we took a break from our study in Luke to talk about the importance of unity in this time of division. Our country is very divided right now because of COVID and the election and racial tension. We were reminded last week of the importance of the church to actively be working against division. Division happens when, or this will happen when Christians remember that we need to give and receive encouragement from one another. That's how we fight division. We encourage one another. And when Christians come together, we're not just audience members. We all need to be contributing and receiving when we worship together. This morning we're returning to the Gospel of Luke. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Today we're going to study the parable of the Good Samaritan. Probably don't realize it, or maybe you do by now. I've already told you the parable of the Good Samaritan once today. I know that you've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan so many times that you could probably say it right now. In fact, let's do that. Tell the parable of the Good Samaritan to a person next to you right now. Go ahead. If you're at home, go ahead. Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan is well known. In fact, it's part of the very fabric of our culture. But I I hope to show you today this parable in a new light. 
So, if you've got your Bibles and you're in chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Before we read the rest of this, I want to look carefully at this section. Reading in context matters, doesn't it? The story of the Good Samaritan, when you say it, the story that you know, skips this part. It skips the setup, doesn't it? And it jumps right into the story. The setup matters. The context matters. So, what do we have here in these four verses, verses 25 through 29? We, we've got the description of what Christians lovingly call the greatest commandment, don't we? It's interesting to note that there are parallel passages to these four verses of Scripture in both Matthew and Mark. But in those passages, Jesus himself states the greatest commandment. So if you look at Matthew 22, 34... Uh, Matthew 22, 35 through 36, it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then in Mark 12, 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And of course, in Luke 10, 25, which we just read, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's what's interesting. In Matthew and Luke, do you notice it's the same same thing, right? They're parallel. But in Matthew and Luke, if you go on and read the rest of the section, Jesus himself gives the greatest commandment. He, He just answers directly. And of course, what he answers is a summation of the entire Old Testament. He answers from Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. And then he also adds Leviticus 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So Jesus, in Matthew and Mark, he gives the greatest commandment, which is Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. He puts them together and he says, Here is the way to eternal life. Ah, but in Luke, Jesus does something differently. Instead of answering the question himself, in Luke, Jesus turns the question back to the person who's asking the question. So look at Luke 26 and 27. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, in other words, the guy, the questioner answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So now we have this person who asked the question, did you hear it? Already knew the answer. He asked the question of Jesus, but he already knew the answer. He was testing 
Jesus. Do you see? And Jesus just turns the question back on him. Okay, so what do you? You know the law. What do you say? And it's interesting because this guy gives the same answer in Luke that Jesus had given in Matthew and Mark. It's the same answer. He quotes the same two scriptures. And then Jesus says in verse 28, You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Well, the expert in the law answered correctly. And exactly how would you expect a literal expert in the law to answer? Because this guy is literally, like he is described literally as an expert in the law. He is an expert in the law. Can Can I say that a little differently? This guy is a lawyer. That's what he is. Now, I know some, you, you guys know lawyers. Some of you have sisters as lawyers. I, I get it. I'm not saying lawyers are all bad. I'm just saying this guy's a lawyer, okay? And if I might be so bold, what do lawyers often do? Lawyers often look for loopholes in the law, don't they? They look and they look and they look at the law until they know the law so well that they find ways to get around the law. It's what lawyers are paid to do, oftentimes. Not in every situation, but that's what they often do. And this lawyer is no exception. Look what he says next. Because this conversation could have been over in verse 28, when Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Go and do this and you will live. But the lawyer can't let it go, can he? The lawyer can't just stop there. The lawyer has to go further. And look what the lawyer says. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. Well, that's an interesting phrase. I like how the message uh, translation translates this verse. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Looking for a loophole. This expert in the law, this lawyer, is very concerned about who should be considered his neighbor. Why? Because he's looking for a loophole. He's trying to figure out exactly and precisely who deserves to be treated as he treats himself. He's looking, well, let me put that another way. This lawyer wants to know which people are worthy of his respect and which people are not worthy of his respect. He wants to know where the boundaries of his responsibility are. He wants a list. He wants a list of the good ones and the bad ones. And if you're on the good list, he's going to treat you as he treats himself. If you're on the bad list, he's not obligated to treat you as he treats himself. Now, do you have in your mind the question that this lawyer is asking of Jesus? He wants to know who's on the good list and who's on the bad list. Because he's looking for a loophole. Everybody got that? 
You got that in your mind? Now, let me remind you again, Leviticus 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, stated still another way, the lawyer is asking Jesus what the limits of application are on Leviticus 19.18. So, who can I ask or seek revenge on? Who can I hold a grudge against? Who do I not need to love? That's the question the lawyer's actually asking. Do you see it in the text? So, <laughs> how does Jesus answer this question? Well, as we have seen throughout Luke, Jesus does not answer like we expect him to answer. And this answer that he gives is definitely not what the lawyer expected. Jesus answers with a parable. Remember, a parable is a story that is meant to make a point. Let me say that again. A parable is a story that is meant to make a point. The parables of Jesus always have a shock factor. Okay? What I mean by that is that the original audience of Jesus' parables would have been extremely surprised when they heard them. They would have went, what? Say that again, what? These parables are meant to surprise us. Well, today, unfortunately, this is a strange part about knowing the Bible well. <laughs> when you have read a parable lots of times, you stopped being surprised by them. That's a problem, because the surprise itself is the point of the parable. Why have we stopped being surprised? Well, because, like I said, we've heard this parable a hundred times. How many times do you think you've heard some version of this parable? I mean, it's like a part of our country. It, you should be a good Samaritan. Like, every Hallmark show I've ever watched has something about a good Samaritan doing something. And by the way, I have not watched very many Hallmark Channel shows. They're horrible. But almost everyone has a good Samaritan in it, right? And when you say be a good Samaritan, you know exactly what that means, don't you? It means be someone who's willing to help those in need, right? That's what a good Samaritan means because we already know this parable. And you know, so when we read the Good Samaritan, we're not even remotely shocked. Not even remotely shocked. We're like, well, yeah, it's the Good Samaritan. He's being a good Samaritan. Being a good Samaritan means you help people in need. That's what it means. Oh, really? I think you may have missed the point of this parable. Because if that's the point of the parable, it's not shocking at all. And parables are shocking. Okay? Also, let me tell you this. One of the reasons why we have trouble being shocked by parables is because we don't really understand the original audience. We don't understand why it was shocking to the original audience. Well, this is going to become apparent as we read. So for right now, let's look at the answer that Jesus gives the lawyer's question. Remember, the lawyer's question is, who is my neighbor? He's trying to figure it out. Who's on the good list? Who's on the bad list? This is the answer that Jesus gives to that question. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, here's the parable. Again, we have heard this parable so many times that we've lost the surprise factor. Because our familiarity with the parable itself, as well as our failure to hear what the original audience heard, that's why we've lost the surprise. In the case of the Good Samaritan, we often fail to realize that in Jesus' time, Jews hated Samaritans. Now, as your pastor, I know that I have said this to you before. In fact, quite often I've said this. So if you've been in this church for a period of time, you will know that I have said this to you. But there are people that haven't been here that long that are here right now. Or there's people online that have never heard that. So I'm just letting you know, as a starting place, Samaritans were, according, if you're a Jew, Samaritans were like the worst of the worst. They were the enemy. They were horrible. They were half-breeds. They weren't following God correctly. They were not good folk. So, Even though for many of you that's not new information, for those of you that didn't know that, I wanted to make sure you knew that. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They hated each other. They wouldn't even talk to each other. But this morning, I want to go even deeper than this about this parable. Now, who's the audience for this parable? The audience is the expert in the law. The lawyer. Now, what is a lawyer at the time of Jesus? Lawyers were Pharisees. This guy is a Pharisee. We know that also because one of the parallel passages I mentioned earlier, he's just identified as a Pharisee, not just an expert in the law. Now, everyone at the time of Jesus would know that Pharisees were not priests. Pharisees were lay people who followed the spoken law, the oral law. They were not, how do I say this? The Pharisees were very concerned about getting the law just right. And one of the ways they really prided themselves in getting the law just right is in their giving to the poor. In contrast, it was the Sadducees who were the priests. The Sadducees were involved with the politics and the power of first century Israel. They didn't really care about giving to the poor. They were concerned about running the temple. They were the priests. And by the way, Pharisees and Sadducees in the time of Jesus, 
did not get along very well. They did not see eye to eye on most issues. And giving to the poor was one of the issues they did not, they did not see eye to eye. In fact, Pharisees and Sadducees were pretty close to enemies. Now, later in the book of Luke, they do team up against Jesus, but that's later, okay? By and large, they didn't like each other. The Sadducees were in charge of the temple and all of the worship that went with it. So, they were the priests. Now, think about the parable. The first person that walks by the person on the road was a priest. So, if you're the Pharisee and you hear that a priest walks by, what do you hear? <laughs> That's just exactly what I expect a, Pharisee, a Sadducee to do. Do you see the Pharisee? The Pharisee hears Jesus' parable and goes, well, what do you expect a Sadducee to do? He's going to walk by because the Sadducee doesn't care about giving alms. The Sadducee doesn't care about giving to the poor because the Sadducee doesn't follow the law correctly. I follow the law correctly. I'm a Pharisee. And then the second person that goes by is a Levite. Again, a Levite was, was part of the temple, part of the Sadducees. So again, again, the Pharisee hears that the Levite, walked, the Levite walked by and didn't help. And again, the Pharisee goes, well, what do you expect from a Levite? The Levite is just as bad as the Sadducees. They're all just worried about the temple. They're not worried about following the law like a good person, like a good Pharisee. They should be following the law. So at this point, what do you think... The Pharisee believes Jesus is going to say next. I think the Pharisee thinks that the next example given by Jesus is going to be a Pharisee. And prove how good the Pharisees are at following the law. And that's where Jesus pulls the rug right out from underneath this guy. Instead of a Pharisee being the one to help the one along the road, instead of someone who's following the law and giving to the poor as they're supposed to, instead of that, Jesus says it's a Samaritan who helps. Someone even worse than a Sadducee. Someone that both the Sadducees and Pharisees hated. A half-breed. Someone who wasn't even following the true path of God. I mean, at least the Sadducees are kind of following the law. The Samaritans are a half-breed. They've mixed in pagan worship with the worship of God, and they've mixed it, and they've, they've created something, an abomination. The, the, the Samaritans, they, they, they worship an abomination. They're the worst there is. And the Pharisee is left there going, I thought he was going to say the Pharisee was the one that helped him, and it was a Samaritan, the worst of all. Imagine the surprise of that lawyer. What? What? I think the lawyer definitely would have expected a Pharisee to be the next one in the story. <laughs> the point is this. This lawyer was definitely not expecting the story to go in the direction that Jesus took it. And I, I want you to remember the original question the lawyer asked of Jesus. The original question was, who is my neighbor? The lawyer wanted a list 
of the people that he should consider his neighbor. And that also gives him a list of everybody he doesn't have to consider his neighbor. Do you see that? And then Jesus gives an answer to a different question. Look again at verse 36, 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which one was a neighbor? Not which one was the neighbor. Which one was a neighbor? So, the Pharisee asks for a list of who's a neighbor and who's not a neighbor. And Jesus says, let me show you what a neighbor is. He turns the question upside down. And he shows the flaw in the Pharisee's theology. Verse 37, the expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now does Jesus say, go become a Samaritan? No. That's not what Jesus says. He said, go and do likewise. In other words, go be a neighbor. The kingdom of God is not about figuring out who is and isn't your neighbor. The kingdom of God is about living your life as if you are a neighbor. This is the point we need to take from this parable. Most people think this parable means be a good Samaritan. This parable means go and be a neighbor to all. And don't make a list of who is and isn't your neighbor. You know, the prayer request that I began this sermon with that you didn't realize was the beginning of the sermon you think Jesus is saying, go be a good abortion doctor? <laughs> that one hits a little bit closer to our present context, doesn't it? That parable that I said to you this morning with the family in Bertha, now you know I made that up. It's a story. And when the government didn't come through. Well, you wouldn't expect the government to come through, would you? Can't trust them buggers. <laughs> right? The Catholic Church didn't come through. Well, we all kind of knew they're just about, you know, taking care of their own anyways, don't we? Of course, they don't believe that. Catholic Church is our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Okay? But do you see the parable? It's a parable! Do you see that? People read parables as if, the, as if the particulars of the parable are what you're supposed to learn. And then, just when you think that this family was finally going to reach out to our local church, right? And we've got the food shelf, and we've got people willing to help, right? Just when you thought it was going to be us that came and saved the day, it's an abortion doctor. What? What? That's a parable. 
oh, you just got it. I can't see you at home, but I can see these guys, and they're going like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got me. You got me, Pastor Jason. Uh-huh. Some of you were like, I saw this coming. Because you looked at the bulletin and knew that this was the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. You're like, I was expecting Jason to do something like that. But most of you didn't. Most of you didn't get it until I just said it now. The purpose of the parable that I said was not go be a good abortion doctor. The purpose is that you not make a list of who's the good and bad neighbor. Oh, do we have something to say right now in the present environment of our life? Put this now, this lesson you've just learned, into our present context. You see, I believe that the church oftentimes is as guilty as this lawyer in the way the lawyer was thinking in this story. We have set up a list, haven't we? That there are those who are on the good and those who are on the bad, and we need to figure out who's a good neighbor and who's not so that we can pass judgment on the ones that aren't on the good list. Oh, you don't think we've been doing that as a church, eh? Look around at the way the church responds to things in our culture right now. Socialists, bad list. Abortionists, bad list. Joe Biden, bad list. Well, some of you on the good list. Homosexuals, bad list. Democrats, bad list, some of you. Black Lives Matter, bad list. Rioters, bad list. That's why our country's crumbling, all of these terrible people. Those aren't my neighbors. I need to support the people that are on the good list. I need to do everything I can to support the people on the good list. I will treat them the way I want to be treated, the way I would treat myself. They all can just go to hell. And that is the current philosophy and theology of most of American Christianity right now. Stop doing that is what Jesus would tell you. Because you've been reading the parable of the Good Samaritan wrong. We are not supposed to make good lists and bad lists. Lists of people that are our neighbors and lists of people that aren't. We're not supposed to be treating people differently based upon what list they're on. We're in a moment of the most division that I have ever seen in my lifetime in this country. And the lists are pretty extreme and evenly divided. Are they not? Well, aren't, aren't abortion doctors, aren't they our enemy? Oh, really? Even if they were, how are we supposed to treat our enemy again? What was that thing that Jesus said? Oh, yeah, we're supposed to love them. But 
That's not what we're about. We're not about figuring out who's in the in crowd and who's in the out crowd. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, don't make lists, be a neighbor. Well, this is the the, uh, anti-masking group and the masking group. What are you talking about? Stop. The point of this parable is not that the Samaritans were good people or bad people. The point of this parable is that we're not supposed to be making lists of who our neighbors are and who are not our neighbors. We're supposed to live our lives with love. Again, I'm not saying we should agree with every teaching that's out there. Do you notice in that parable of the abortion doctor helping the rural family in Bertha? Not one time did I say the abortion doctor was correct ethically or theologically. But the abortion doctor was correct in the way that he was living in that moment with that person. Does it seem strange to you to think that abortion doctor would do that because you've categorized them as the height of evil, haven't you? You're wrong. And if you start from that position of thinking that everybody on the other side is the height of evil, before you start, you're wrong and you will not arrive at Christ-likeness. Ever. And that is how the church has contributed to the division of our country. And we're doing it in the name of Jesus, just like the lawyer did it in the name of the law. I disagree with abortion doctors. I'm not saying you should be that way on that issue. But I can love them as someone made in the image of God. I disagree with the practice of homosexuality and homosexual marriage. But I can see the image of God in these people. I love them because I want to be a neighbor to them. I want them eventually and hopefully to find Jesus Christ, to find true life, abundant life. Do you think that's going to start if I start from a position of hating, of not even having them on the right list? It can't. So there you go. You've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan so many times. But now have you heard the parable? Have you now heard it? Please. Go and do likewise. Our country, our town, our church 
is in desperate need of you to care about people, of you to love people, of you to bandage their wounds, of you to protect people. We need you to be a neighbor. Thank you, Lord, for this moment where we are called into something greater than what we thought was before. We are not called to be lawyers, Lord, where we get the letter of the law correct but miss the whole point. We're called to love you, God, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to be a neighbor. Help us, God. Help us, God. To show others and to tell others your good news. And be neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.